Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about bugs and which ones can overwinter here in Wisconsin. In our spotlight, we're going to look at how you may be able to use satellite imagery to observe cattle weight gain. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about the soil bank. And we'll do some cool beans that's current, uh, that's corny, current events. And wrap it up with an ag idiom of the week. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Bruker, all with Tilth Agronomy. So here we are. Packers have the bye week as the top of the NFC, despite a loss to the Lions. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Rodgers played half the game. It was a weird game because they were trying at the beginning. So then when they lost, it made it feel kind of like a loss, but it didn't matter. It was still so pretty I, close, though. I, mean, I wish they, they wouldn't have even tried almost. Then you would have been like, whatever. It's, they had it's a the shot lines. with the third string basically playing. Yeah. I mean, had uh, Amari Rodgers not juggled the ball into the defender's hands. <laughs> Here you go. Maybe. Take this, sir. Still, Mason Crosby still making us all nervous by missing a kick. He, he cannot kick in far field. Like, that's his nemesis. That's weird. That's an indoor. Yeah. Right. It should not be it that difficult. Maybe yeah. he's so used to, like, the way the wind moves in Lambeau that he's, you know, he's kicking it far left and it snakes back right. And in the dome, it's like there's no movement. So you're saying maybe he should lick his finger beforehand? Just I don't know. Just remind himself there's no wind. I know he's not worth replacing at this point. No. It makes me so nervous having a Super Bowl talent team with a kicker like that. You know, you just wish he was automatic all the time. That's hard. Most teams are, the kickers are worse than you think across the NFL. Right. Not as automatic as you'd think. Or you have a, was it the Raiders kicker was drafted by the Vikings and then had one bad game, they cut him, and now he's doing awesome? Carlson? Yeah. yeah. Well, the same thing with Robbie Gould. He, yeah. The Bears cut him, and then he went on to with the kick for San Niners? Francisco, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who's the only automatic kicker? Justin Tucker. Yeah, that's who came to mind. Uh, Harrison, like, Harrison Bucker's pretty good. But, like, automatic, it's Tucker. Right. And then and everybody Crosby else. was that for a while. Yeah. He was, yeah. But he's, like... He's like Adam Vinatieri now. Yeah, he's like a silver fox now. He's up there. He's been around as long as Rodgers has, I think. Might end up kicking his leg off like what, Martine Grometica? (laughs) Mason Crosby is 37. Right. For those. Rodgers just turned 38. So, I mean. Yeah, but think about that. One of them looks like he's 100. (laughs) (laughs) Our special teams in general are not the shining star by any means. Especially, I, I did not get the, let's run it out of the end zone on that last possession. Just made no sense to me. Like, you've you've let them go through the end zone, you're in the end zone, just kneel, like, why waste the time? I don't I don't think uh, LeFleur liked that idea either. If there's not a huge special team shakeup in the offseason, we riot. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be. You can't tell me, I don't care how, oh, the guys play for him. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> Or they don't know what they're doing, and who's, whose fault is that? It's so much effort on special teams, too, that I don't believe that they, pl- that they play for them. Yeah. 
Well, their argument is we're like the first stringers are hurt, so then the second stringers that are on special teams now are starting. So then it's the next tier. Like you're down so many tiers. I don't know if I believe that either. I wouldn't buy that. I mean, I mean it's stay in your lanes and make a tackle, right? Yeah, at that point, you should be playing for your life. Like this right. is this could be make or break. Maybe I'll make first team if I do good. Mm-hmm. Not, eh, I'll just go out there and. With it. You still see Kevin King and Oren Burks out there on the kick team. I mean, those guys are, they've been on the kick team forever. And they still don't do anything. Right. So is Rodgers the MVP? I don't know how you can even debate it at this point. It's him or Brady, right? That's who they're going to argue? I think ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. Did you see um, they released the pro football focus all pro team? And it was Brady first team, Joe Burrow second team. And then Rodgers didn't make make the cut. Really? Like, oh, okay. Wow. Sudden, suddenly Joe Burrow is a big deal. I mean, he's... He's been good. He's, he's been but, good, but... But he's not in the MVP talk. No, so. he's not. So that was interesting, too. I thought how some of that... Uh, Jonathan Taylor was in the talks more than Joe Burrow. Right. I mean, Jonathan Taylor should have yeah way more of a shot than, than the Joe Burrow. And he won't now because they didn't... They, Laid a super egg and didn't make the playoffs, so he won't get it because they didn't make the playoffs. Well, when you get a part-time quarterback, it's hard. How many MVPs has Brady won? I know Rodgers is at three, four, right? He's won three. Three. They're tied. So they're right both now. tied. We yeah, I looked this up the other day because uh, <laughs> happened to watch when Rodgers was on the Manning cast with Eli and Peyton, and Peyton's like, you know, if you get to four, you should just. I think it's a good time to retire because Peyton's got four, five. 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 Wow. Peyton has five. Wow. And then the next, like, four all have three. And it's Brady, Rogers, Favre, five. and there's it, one more. This says Tom Brady was the MVP five times. 2002, 2004, 2015, 2017, 2021. Wow. <laughs> That'd be this year. Yeah, this is Check your Oh, that would be last year. 2021. That would have been last year. Because you get the award. He wasn't last year because Rodgers was. Yeah, Rodgers was oh, MVP so this last year. Right. He might have been. He was That's Super Bowl, Bowl MVP. MVPs, I bet. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he's got a lot see, of See, this is the league MVP. No, I'll, I'll see if I can find the list here. Well, this one's just wrong. Flat out wrong. Because that would be his, all his Super Bowl MVPs would be. It would make sense. 21, 17, 15. Right. Two and four. Let's see. Who is most? Rod? Yeah, so. Manning's got five. Uh, darn you. Cookies. Manning has five. Nope. And five. So he's the only one. He's out by himself. Four with the Colts, one with the Broncos. Five players won three times, and that would be Brady, Rogers, Favre, Jim Brown, and Johnny Unitas. And then I think Montana and Steve Young both have two. And then anyone else who's won only has the single. Hmm. Bart Starr has won. Paul Horning. But Brady. Jim Taylor. Brady and oh, who's the other one? Oh, Brady and Lamar Jackson are the only two to win a unanimous MVP. Well, we well, know Rodgers won a unanimous. Right. 
What's that? Well, you know, Rodgers won't win a unanimous vote <laughs> no. on this year. No. no. Well, that guy did apologize after he said he was. <laughs> that no guy should have his vote revoked. <laughs> he should. I, I mean, if you're, going, like, if you're saying that in September that you're not going to vote for a guy, yeah, that's, you're not even qualified to vote. But if we know anything about it, about you know some of that voting and stuff like that, look at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Look at yeah. their voting. There's a lot of guys that should have their votes revoked. Yeah, from that. So Favre's the only one to win them consecutively, because he had three years in a row, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. But he shared one with Barry Sanders, Barry, Brett Favre. And how did, how did that when they shared it work? Did they have the same amount of votes? Because you don't hear about that much anymore of sharing it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that ever happened before that. We need a resident lion fan to let us know. Oh, Kurt Warner's got two as well. Sorry. So there's three players that have two. So yeah, if Rodgers were to win, that would put him in like his establish him as the second most rather than being tied for second with a few other people. Rodgers is like an interesting spread, kind of like Brady's. Rodgers are 2011, 2014, 2020. You know, like, yep. where, like you said, Favre's are consecutive and Brady's are 07, 2010, and 17. So, yeah, we're, when Manning did it, he was getting them kind of all somewhat more in a row. Yeah, outside of his last one, which was yeah, with the Broncos to the end of his career. The funny part with that. That reporter guy, he's on the Packers pregame show. Well, I, every, I always every hear that time. of Larry V, like, join Hub Arkish and yeah, me. Right. Because when they said that name, I'm like, I've heard that name. I've never listened to their pregame. He's always on the pregame show. They just but, bring him in to give, like, his takes and of the Packers. So is he done now? Opinion. Like, I, I can't imagine you'd bring him back after saying that. I didn't listen to the pregame this week because it would have been after that. But just for reference on the Jonathan Taylor. He was 400 yards off from the single season record. Ooh, that's yeah. Yeah, you got to be closer than that. Yep. He had 17. The only thing is, though, he had 1,700 something with 24 touchdowns and 37 catches for another 400 yards. Sure. Which Eric Dickerson, I don't think, had that many yards to the sure. air. But just, you got to be really close to breaking the single Especially season. Especially as a running back because it's a quarterback award yeah for the yeah. most part so. you, you pretty much have to set the new standard for running backs if you want to win it yeah and he didn't he had a good season but he didn't yeah if they would have finished stronger maybe he would have had a better shot right but. he gets because i don't think he had much yards the last two weeks i don't know if he broke 50 against the jaguars i mean he had nothing going because week 16 he didn't and then obviously that they is that how you lost your fantasy game on week 16 yeah maybe yeah, probably didn't help. Didn't help. <laughs> it didn't help that AJ Dillon had two touchdowns that week. That did help. It helped my opponent. Yes, it's good for the Packers. Was yes. it Todd? No, was no. Todd, your opponent. No, no. Okay. no, it was not. It was Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Now that we've commiserated Bills fantasy hey, loss, I, I finished second. I'm good. <laughs> we ready to get into this? Oh, yeah. All right. So we get this question, I think, fairly often about, you know, bugs, where do they come from, when are they going to start? And since we've, last year we had a particularly mild winter where cover crops were surviving, so chances are bugs had a better chance to survive. If we were to see the same conditions 
through the rest of this winter, you know, we've at least got some snow cover now. And I'd say there was some frost in the ground before we got snow cover, just judging on how I couldn't open my yard shed because of the, the heaving in my yard. On my way here this morning, they were uh, digging in town something, some buildings going up, and you could see the excavators chunks. were, they were digging, you know, they were able to dig, but they were bringing up chunks, not yeah. not dirt or soil, it was frozen. So that we talk about what bugs uh, do overwinter in Wisconsin, and it's actually quite a few as compared to um, the ones that kind of migrate in. So first one I got a, not necessarily in alphabetical order, but first one I've got listed is aphids, and they can indeed overwinter. So aphids typically, and I thought this was interesting, survive in buckthorn leaf buds. Mm -hmm. So buckthorn was a big invasive species in a lot of the state. So those management programs do coincide with aphid populations. Especially soybean aphid really love that. And that was always kind of watch field edges for buckthorn because you had a better chance of that coming in. But it is kind of everywhere since it's an invasive. (laughs) When, uh, when, like 2000-ish, 2001, I was working at the co-op and that was like when it first, like, what is this, is this bug going on? And then when they figured out that it was aphids and buckthorn was their overwintering, there was a big push at that point to like, well, we like I was in college yet then, and we went out yeah, and had to like cut buckthorn, yeah, down. cut it down and try, but yeah, so it didn't. And then they figured it out didn't like, do anything. They, like there's so much buckthorn along fence lines and edge of fields that it wasn't worth it because it just there's so much of it, you know. So yep. then they kind of that went away, but that was the first big thing. Like go get rid of your buckthorn. Yeah, so they can they can overwinter here, and they are an, an over the soil. You know, some insects are in the soil. This one is the one that's not in the soil. It's actually above ground. You said it's in the buds of the. Yep. Yeah. So it's an interesting because you don't think of buds late. You know, late through the winter, and buckthorns are very early. You know, to green up in the spring, and this is from University of Minnesota Extension. Um, there's a list here of where pests tend to overwinter. So, which ones are out of the soil and in the soil? And yeah, that soybean aphid is listed as in buckthorn leaf buds. So, uh, one that does not overwinter here is the potato leaf hopper. So that's a common one in that we see not only in potato crops in the central part of the state where they grow potatoes, but in alfalfa. So that one, you don't have to worry about overwintering. That's gotta, they've got to come from somewhere else. Um, but bean leaf beetle, it's possible. So that one normally wouldn't, but with more mild winters, it can. Are, um, we, are we calling this a mild winter to this point? I'm not saying this winter's mild, but I'm saying no, but in I, general I our winters. Would. I probably would call this a mild winter to this point. Dude, they just yeah. showed like on January was like, it's like the 40th coldest. So it's very, it's it's like in the middle, but it's colder. Yeah. The, the last two weeks have been colder than normal. So, but now it, it, yesterday it was 35, today's well, right, it does, yeah. And we had that like one warm day, but in general it's, well, I think it's it, actually been fairly normal, which is weird. And we say. have average to, I would say slightly below average snowfall. 
It's below average snowfall. Yeah, sure. we have below it, but we do have snow. Last year, we right. you know we didn't have a lot of snow, and we didn't have a lot of cold. We had like one week of cold, and it just happened to coincide with the week we had snow. <laughs> so it was like kind of all at once, whereas this year we've had a few cold days, but they've been spread out, yeah. and they've been followed by warmer days. That's why we got the fog back in late December. There's fog coming today, apparently. Uh, yes. I left home and it was foggy, really foggy. I'm oh, like, really? oh, I'm gonna. It's gonna make 45 minutes to get here. Usually, it's a half hour drive. I got through town and like five miles from my house, and it it cleared up. So, but this is what exactly you're talking about. It was cold early. This, I mean, it was cold Monday. Yeah. Yep. It was really cold, and now today it's supposed to be 35. So, yeah. but then snap just, again. Just coming tomorrow's. Yeah, correct. Back again. <laughs> so, like Todd said, you know, on. We may be the fortieth coldest river, somewhere in the middle. But you know, if it's looking on the average, you know, average rainfall we've had, average rainfall where we have a lot of rainfall, right? You know, it's and all a, an average doesn't mean you right. It's all it a matter of perspective. Means you have yeah. a lot and then a little. Rain. I would just say this feels like a mild winter. It doesn't seem like like I watch the deer herds in the fields and they're not struggling. It do, you know they're walking easily and they're out all the time, so it's got to be relatively okay. I think any year we have a brown Christmas it always feels like it's a mild winter, and which true. we had this year cuz we did it, have a brown Christmas. I mean, we had snow before that, but it all went away. We had a white Thanksgiving and a brown Christmas. Yeah, yep, we that we did. I, a good way to check Mags is just like how much ice is out there and ice is about normal, isn't it? Aware well, usually ten inches on and Lake Winnebago, so we're slightly ahead, actually. Yeah, okay, so that, that's, but that's what I'm because, saying. But ice too, you got to remember, like if we have late snow, we can make ice I, easier. So right, we get early snow. It, yeah, that's it part covers. Of the it, there's other yeah. things. I agree. We ice fished about normal. We got on the ice, and then since then, it's been slightly above average ice. I'd say. I mean, we'll be we'll be driving trucks on Lake Winnebago probably by the end of the weekend. We're really close, so. I'm surprised that high winds did that push any ice out. Like there's guys stranded in Green Bay. Well, that was the yeah, they cracked off. Yeah, and floated off. Um, there was a spray warning I saw. Was it last night or the night before? Up way up north, like they were getting more wind. I think with the the sprays. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I, you always have that every year on the bay. Guys, uh, right. go well, out the there bay, too early. The and, bay never freezes fully, too. Right, right. That's the thing you got to remember. Lake Winnebago will freeze all the way across. The bay has to stay open because they have to get ships in and out still. Sure. So, and if it's not, they'll break it open, right? Right. right. They'll bring in icebreakers. So if there's always a, a place for ice to go, if you get high enough winds and warm temperatures, it, right. it's going to go. I thought yeah. I heard on the radio they said Winnebago was officially yeah, it's froze locked over. Up. Yep. It's locked up pretty good now. So. Who's that first? Yeah, like the first guy to put a truck out. It's got to be like a something. Um, yeah, somebody's got to be that guy. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta go door open, seatbelt off, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> like, and be prepared, jump. prepare, be prepared to have somebody pull you out, or you know, maybe <laughs> just keep a toe strap on the back end, so when the front end goes in, you've got something to pull on. There'll be a guy with an old Deville that goes out this weekend. Probably today would be my guess. There'll be a guy with a, like a DeVille or a Park Ave that goes out there. That's usually the first guy out. You, you don't want to go out with a smart car. You go out with a heavy SOB, huh? Yeah, you go out with these big, long boat. Well, they call they them call a boat, boat for a reason. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. So, yeah, okay. So it's half in, not all in when you go through. Yeah. All right. But anyway, back to Beanleaf Beetle. Um, so it's possible in our area and there and above ground. They, so they hang out in plant litter. Uh, so they can 
they could potentially. It's not as likely as some of these other ones, but they don't call it litter. Call it residue. Residue. Yeah. Sorry. Litter yeah. means bad. Stover. I was, yeah. Litter. Yeah. I was reading directly from the University well, of Minnesota. Minnesota calls it litter. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. that was, to them, it is garbage. Yeah. To us, it's everything it's around residue. them is trash. They might be too. <laughs> uh, all right. So then you have uh, rootworm is one that can overwinter, and though they are a soil overwinterer, so they can be found beneath the ground. And that's one where I think we're all used to them kind of hanging around. We know corn on corn, uh, there's always that higher potential for them to be there. So They're ones, I mean, the way we scout, we check for the, the adults in the fall and they lay eggs. And those, like you say, are just common one for us that we're used to overwintering. And that's why... Really, the dri- the driving force to rotate a lot of times is corn rootworm. So yeah, they are. And I was just looking here. It says yeah, usually overwinter in the top six inches, but they have been found as far below as ten to twelve inches. Holy man! So they can dig down pretty deep. They do have some mortality at twenty degrees, soil temperature a lot more at zero, but. It's hard to get probably yeah, soil that soil low when, the you get, yeah. not, when you're uh, especially at six inches cover. if they're down that deep, right? If we had yeah, if we had a low snow, high cold winter, you'd be you'd have a better potential than. I I remember talking to an entomologist back. What year did we have that? Like thirty days or whatever of below. Was that eighteen or something like that? That was the polar vortex year. Yeah, oh, yeah. Was, I remember talking to an entomologist that year, and even that year he said. With the amount of snow we had, it, it wasn't going to take out well, you, the... You wonder if that trade-off would be like, you'd either kill all your winter wheat and alfalfa because right. it was so cold in the soil, or you'd kill or, bugs, kind of like, yeah. you'd think those are close to the same. Probably nationally, if that happened, it would be more economic to have the rootworm beetles killed than the alfalfa because alfalfa is a little more regionalized versus, you know, those bigger corn-producing well, states. Well, and, and then you... When you think about it this way, like your corn rootworm is probably more like corn is a bigger crop than wheat. So if we lose all our wheat, well, right. okay, whatever. I'll take the trade off. But even I would think rootworms, if you could get some mortality, you know, even 10, 15% would be helpful. Well, I'm sure in your, your lighter soils, you have that higher potential of right. getting mortality than some of your heavier ones and. Just because you're not going to get as much insulation effect on them, but yeah, so they are they're one that can hang around. Uh, European corn borer, that's another above ground one. They hang out usually in the stalks, and they can overwinter here. So that that's one. You know, we have the genetics depending on you know if you're doing corn on corn. That's one we can we could manage that way. Um, but that one I don't typically think of though as. One that, you know, you think of the moths coming in on that one. Yep. So it must not be able to take too much of the winter, you know, and yeah, I think more it comes up to Wisconsin than it does over winter here. But I have had it where I've had it fields where I have seen them over winter. So I guess yeah. it's it's another one where, you know, depending on how mild the winter is, I think it's the the greater likelihood. And that's with any of these, you know, the harsher the winter, the, the less likely we are to see big, um, big bouts of overwintering. 
flea beetles. Um, they're one that, you know, not something that I guess we tend to have to manage all that often. I mean, we see them. And they're kind of a unique one because they, they're both. They can do above ground in the residue or they can be underground. Um, so they become, they lay eggs in the soil um, and then they come out and there can be a couple different generations throughout the year. So uh, Japanese beetle, they can overwinter as well. Our shiny little friends that clip silks and... I think the biggest issue with them is they're they're a multiple stage threat. They can just feed on leaves. They can clip silks on corn. You know, depending on how early they come, grubs in the soil. Yep, big big grubs in the soil. So they're ones that uh, can also overwinter, and they can another one that can go deep. They can be found as far as twenty inches deep. Mm in the soil, so usually two to six inches. A wireworm, they can survive as well, so that's the click beetle larvae, and they are a soil one. They typically are found underneath the ground. And then seed corn maggots, another one. Um, There again, you know, seed treatments and that kind of stuff help prevent them, but uh, they are something we, we can see in the soil over time. So, uh, <clears throat> and the last one I wanted to cover was armyworm. They are not around here. So armyworm, they can move in uh, along with leafhopper, like we mentioned before. They are migratory. That was Monty Python. Migratory. Are you saying coconuts are migratory? Uh, So armyworm come in, and actually they cannot survive, even in the U.S., any further north than Texas or Florida. So they're very particular, um, particularly susceptible to winter weather even to the point where the, you know, the mid-northern-southern states, they can't really survive. Uh, most of the ones we get here in Wisconsin come out of Texas, at least in the fall armyworm, the case of fall armyworm. So uh, that's one where they get pushed up through the season and moth flights, they land. And So if we get an early-season hurricane up through Texas... Yeah, any early-season storms, because um, leafhopper, too, we've seen that, where they, they get yep. pushed up on in the... Get carried with the wind. Leafhopper, because they get up in the jet stream too, so those can right. be even more. They're so little. They're and so tiny. Yeah. They can get up there. Army were moths, so yeah, they, they can move too pretty far. In well, it's funny. Or, I, I guess it's the moth more than anything, but think about your army worm. Like your high activity times for army worm is like that kind of cool, wet, like time for. Like they don't like it when it's 100 degrees, right? They're kind of hiding. But then in the winter, they're like, oh, yeah, it's got to be warm. But that's more of the moth versus the worm than anything, but still. It's funny that they're that sensitive. It is, and yet they're persistent. They're they're definitely like a snowbird, you know, like it gets a little cold and they're headed down to Arizona or Florida for the winter. Because, yeah, like you say, even in the summer, they won't stay out like 
overnight they go underground probably because it's cold and then during the day they don't like the hot they're kind of yeah they're fair weather yeah they like the middle the fair weather insect but yeah so i i thought that was interesting i had watched a webinar earlier this this winter or this fall um on the armyworm and i didn't realize most of the ones we get come from like texas so the florida ones tend to go more to the east so like pennsylvania new york that area um that tends to be where where theirs come from so which should make some sense with the way the weather patterns move and you know i always had an old timer tell me once that if we get a hurricane in florida or carolinas it never gets this far to us but if we get one that comes in through texas or louisiana there's a higher potential because it just kind of goes straight up versus just carries the coast which would make some sense then too with yeah, that tracks the bug, with, with bug, how, yep. how the bugs are moving. So yeah, if you're you're concerned about a particular bug, it's always good to remember that, um, particularly an army worm. That's you know most bugs are cyclical. We see highs and lows. Um, some of it has to do with our winter, but some has to do with the winter of other areas as well. So if you're really worried about army worm, watch Texas weather. See how how cold things get down there, and then you might see. A higher or lower population based on on theirs. So yeah, wouldn't there a big ice storm in Texas last spring that would help us all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not great for the Texans, but potentially good for us. Great so. for Wisconsin armyworm populations. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So when they're repairing all the water damage from their frozen pipes, they can remember yep. that. Yeah. At least there's going to be a few less armyworm neighbors to the north. All right. So there you go. Insects. Some above ground, some below, but um, there are many that can overwinter here, but some of the particularly nasty ones don't necessarily overwinter in Wisconsin. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So today we're looking at how satellite imagery can help producers observe and improve cattle weight gain. Uh, it was research at USDA Ag Research Service. Found a new way for farmers to observe and improve cattle herd weight gain. Using images captured from satellites, scientists have been able to monitor the quantity and quality of forage consumed by free-range cattle to determine how foraging patterns relate to weight gain. So they're looking to pre- predict the patterns of diet quality for the cattle and hopefully they can then help manage those situations. So it's an interesting way of using, you know, we talk about satellite for crops and looking at crop health and disease and all that kind of stuff using imagery. Um, But this one relates directly to the cattle themselves and how they're moving through these open forages. So for pastures or free range cattle, this is more of a, a potential benefit. They focus their observations on 40 pastures across 10 summers. Uh, this was done in Colorado. Research found that cattle ate high-quality grass, or that ate high-quality grass, consistently gained more weight than cattle that ate just a bunch of grass. So if you're, you know, and that tracks with what we, we know of dairy cattle and stuff. We will want to give them quality feed and we'll get a better result. So rather than just having something in front of them to eat. 
So yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I thought the satellite imagery was like tracking the size of the camera. Right, I thought somehow. so too. Like, sure, like yeah, measuring. They, I thought it was yeah, gonna yeah. Do like the uh, like the bean like the bean um, the cool bean app that we have yeah. that can measure population. It's gonna be like that, like measure how much ground space is taken up by cattle. By ca- yeah. No, yeah. So essentially, they're making vegetation maps and then tracking the cattle. Yeah, like via that. GPS and see what they're. Which cattle are doing better depending on what they're eating. So, but yeah, still thought it was kind of interesting. You'd be able to farm from your living room pretty quick here. Yeah, it's getting there with John Deere releasing their automated tractor at CES and watching everything from satellite. Yeah, pretty soon you won't have to leave your couch. Right. <laughs> yeah, except to fix all the stuff. Except, yeah, yeah, they have to repair it when it doesn't work. All right, now let's move into our Ag History Minute. So this week we're going to talk about the Soil Bank. It's part of Title I of the Agricultural Act of 1956. So during the mid-1950s, farm commodity surpluses were increasing and net farm income was declining. Department of Agriculture, under Ezra Taft Benson's leadership, favored reducing production of surplus commodities by lowering price supports, but Congress resisted this approach. USDA administration was philosophically opposed to production control through either acreage allotments or marketing quotas, but Congress and the administration did agree on an alternative, voluntary land retirement through acreage rental payments to farmers. The Soil Bank had multiple purposes, reducing production of basic crops, maintaining farm income, and conserving soil. They had two components, the Acreage Reserve Program, ARP, which was designed for immediate reduction of six basic crops, wheat, corn, cotton, tobacco, rice, and peanuts. The Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP, sought an ending or enduring reduction in cropland acreage. One-year ARP rental payments varied greatly if reflect... um, reflected efforts to take highly productive land out of production. Rates were highest on Midwest corn and lowest on the least productive wheat land. Acreage Reserve Program ran for three years, from 1956 to 1958, and of course CRP is still around today, so that's where you get basically paid rent to not farm the land, and they're usually, I think, 10-year agreements. So, Yeah, we talk a lot about CRP, and I didn't realize that it started with the Soil Bank Program and having the ARP Acreage Reserve Program. I never never heard of that bill. Did you ever hear of that at all? No, no. Very interesting. Thank well, you to all the. We're only running from 1956 to 1958. I would probably think that you hadn't heard of it. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I mean, think you, you guys in, are old, but you're not that old. In our area too, where we feed you know more dairy cattle or fed in that, I'm sure it maybe wasn't as popular in Wisconsin, but who knows. We're, well, no, we're no 1996ers, Max. Yeah. <laughs> 96ers are getting old, too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, we want to thank all the listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and mainly tell a farmer friend. So if you like the podcast, all we ask you to do is tell somebody you know about it and tell them where they can find it. All they have to do is search Tilt Talk Radio in Apple Podcasts or on Android. You need to download a podcast app. We like Podcast Attic, Podbean, or Player FM are all good podcast apps. Another easy way to listen is you can send them a link right on their computer or smartphone browser, and that link is tiltheg.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter 
at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now we'll do our cool beans. That's corny for the week. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. Down at the Waba Classic, the Secretary of Ag for the state says he is happy with the, or appreciates, I should say, the new Wisconsin Ag Export Funding. So the trade promotion dollars from legislature and the government will give the state more flexibility when promoting Wisconsin's exports. Randy Romanowski uh, said, until now, promoting agricultural exports meant using funds from the federal government and business donors and going along on a federal trade mission featuring products from multiple states. So now we're fortunate if we have fun- funding that comes to us from outside organizations that allow us to give admissions to particular locations. This funding gives us more flexibility to go to places we think are going to be a great fit for Wisconsin products. So you should uh, let the listeners know out there what the Egg Waba Classic is. Yes, the Waba Classic is the Wisconsin Agribusiness Classic, which took place this week in Madison. And it's a place where agronomists tend to go for our credits as we monitor our uh, continuing education for our certifications, and we also get to hear from a number of extension specialists and university specialists on different research that they're doing and um, products and basically get a an update on the state of Wisconsin agriculture and what's been happening over the last year or two or five, depending on how long these research product or uh, projects run. You can definitely tell who's how long people have gone into this because it's had like three names. Yeah. So if like they still call it Egg Lime, then it's they changed that name fifteen like, years ago. Probably yeah. they used to be like the why was it just called the Egg Lime Conference? No, it was like the, the Wisconsin Fertilizer and Egg Lime Conference or something. But like and that. so you just shorten it to Egg Lime. Yeah. Like that seems like a weird yep. name to. Yeah, it was just always called like, hey, are you going to Egg Lime? Even I tried calling a a. Uh, a vendor this week and as i was calling him like he's probably down at egg lime and so in the message I did he say said, and then he texted me back like yes down at egg lime <laughs> so no it, definitely it's can, not even like the fertilizer convention or the co-op fertilizer or the university fertilizer it's just egg lime like i don't know how that happened but that's like a wisconsin industry standard of referring to this yearly convention well then about 10 years ago it was the Crop Manager Classic. No, it was just conference. Crop Manager, or crop manager conference. conference, right. And it wasn't the classic quite yet. And, I, and and that name never even... I don't think anybody used that name at all. Like, it was like it just didn't even no. exist. Like like the middle child, right? It was... Yeah. It, went, <laughs> no. it, went, it went from Eggline to the Wisconsin... Like, uh, and now it's the Wisconsin Agribusiness Classic. Yeah, and that was... Um, Ah, what's Bresner's Tom Bresner's big push? I'm thinking he's the one that named it, and yep. yeah, he loved that name. And it's actually, like you say, it seems to be it's probably it's, the most fitting name, right? It's definitely people are calling it the classic now, which is the, the cool part. Is at one time I probably tossed them now, but I had like you'd get a book of all the talks, yep, all and the books, stuff, yeah, and I had like 20 years of them. I never went back and read any of them, <laughs> but um, but it was just cool to have. Yeah, Each the, one, the proceedings, I think yes, they call them. The yeah. proceedings. I, I have all correct. my name tags. Yeah, all the like I've only been to 
four or five. <laughs> but like, I have my name tags from that. I have my name tags from Forage Council. I have them from like I have name tags from everything I've ever bought. Sure. The anything that gave you a real name tag, like the lanyard yep. style one, I get a lot of name tags. That'd be cool. Yeah, That's a the, good idea. Yeah. They want the lanyards back. Yeah, they usually you're supposed oh. to leave the lanyard. Whoops. You, you paid enough for these conferences. I don't think <laughs> I think you can take. They can they can afford to buy a new lanyard. I did that with sports tickets. When now that you can't, so I'm really mad now because it's all Apple Wallet and digital. Sure. It is the more yeah. But physical. when you actually got a ticket, could you stub, print a stub? Kind of like just to have like you, a so-called stub. I think you, you kind of can, but it's like a sheet of paper and it's kind of lame. What I okay, so just we buy went, some cardstock. I know. <laughs> we went to the Badger game when they played Notre Dame in Soldier Field. Yeah, and there was a guy, and it was all digital tickets. And as we were coming out, there was a guy standing out there with like a bin. And it just said ticket stubs wanted, and like there was a two in there, which I don't even know how people got ticket stubs. It was just the weirdest. Hmm. Like it was like a guy and his kid, and they wanted ticket stubs, and I couldn't even figure out like what were they gonna like pedal them? Like what would you do with it's them? It's old and, like, now. How yeah. and maybe there was just a few that he thought well it'd be cool to yeah. I was just I've never never seen that. Hmm. All right, are that's corny this week. Continuation of something we've talked about quite a bit, but uh, so an end date to higher fertilizer prices is unknown, according to some AFBF economists. So the AFBF, being the American Farm Bureau Federation, had their annual convention, and the spike in prices is uh, in 2008 and nine lasted about 18 to 24 months. Um, this one, they're not really sure. There's been some signs and some talk of easing, but, um, you know, it's just we never know how long. What's odd are. is very recent easing. Yeah. Like it's yep. like within a week of you can just feel like prices stopped going up and kind of eased a little. And there was a really good uh, Texas A&M study on nitrogen prices that came out this week. And I think that kind of helped summarize some of that and, they could attribute, you know, one of the, there's a handful, there's like six reasons, and one of them is higher natural gas prices, and that they found contributed about to 15% of the price increase. So we kind of thought that was a more a bigger player, and maybe that's not. So hopefully some of these things, as we get sorted out, will help find out why they, re- I mean, prices can go up for a number of reasons. Obviously there's six of them, and hopefully a few of those things change and then that kind of can start driving the price back down i did i did hear there was a talk at waba yesterday saying uh, the actually the opposite of this saying that like or actually similar to this that like they don't know when it's going to come down and that they don't think we fall on the top yet so that was the other hard part with any of this is i don't know that anybody's going to stick their neck out and say which way it's going to go because people well, we really much, don't know. How, how can I mean, you, anybody that says they do know doesn't. If you if you say you know this, you might as well tell me which stock's going to go up tomorrow too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The six factors are global demand for fertilizer, so that's going to vary depending on well, depending on price, price and and what crops are in the rotation. Like we talked about, two thousand eight nine guys switched to switch to soybeans. So if you switch crops, um, that could affect that demand. Uh, weather events impacting domestic production, so that's one we can't control. But you know, who knows what'll what'll happen if we get more weather events in the spring that could prolong things. Production plant maintenance pushed back due to COVID nineteen. 
international geopolitical issues, so trade wars and whatnot um, with different countries and other impacts on trade, transportation costs, and the cost of natural gas. So like Todd said, uh, 15% for the natural gas part, I think a lot of people thought that was more of the rise in price. So transportation costs, fuel costs have been uh, slightly up. I mean, you'd think it was the end of the world that we've never seen gas prices like they are today, but um, you know, it's still not, I don't, I don't think it's crazy, not as crazy as we saw back in the early 2000s for fuel prices so even that was showing natural gas back in 08 was up to like 14 dollars a btu and now it's at six so i mean the one difference i would say between why why the natural gas excuse made sense um even though it is only 15 percent, is there's a lot more uses of natural gas now yeah than there were back in 08 09 um you know a lot more cng vehicles so compressed natural gas um but still, to be only that you know small portion of it, there's there's all these other factors that we have limited to no control over that are going to play out over the next. The few other months. big difference I keep telling guys from '08 till now is in '08 we didn't have a supply chain hiccup stuff going on at all, yeah. and so like we saw with toilet paper, with Roundup, with all this stuff, is that you know one little hiccup and just getting it to where you need it or can make a make that price change a lot so that's the hard part too going into this year is just i don't remember no being worried about not getting it it was just what will we have to pay to get it and this year there's always that back of your mind worry of like am i going to get it so it's just a different yeah sort of a time that way i know the timing thing um my wife before christmas found she she works next to a walmart and so it like when in the winter now she usually go for a walk at lunchtime. So her and her coworker don't want to walk outside when it's cold. So they <laughs> so walk, walk through around, Walmart. Walk around Walmart. It's like mall walking. Yep. It's like a new version of And uh <laughs> just before Christmas there was a whole rack of these Halloween blankets all clearanced out to like a couple bucks. And they happen to be someone stocking them and so they were asking, like, Oh, why are you putting these out now? Like, we just got them. Oh, so literally from, you know, the Halloween stuff was coming in Christmas. just before Christmas, right after Thanksgiving, somewhere in there. Um, over the weekend, we stopped at Target to get some stuff and happened to wander. My kids always like to wander through the toy aisles and dream. They like we to all stare. do that. We yep. all did that. Yep, we all did I that. I still do that in the fishing section. <laughs> in the fishing oh. section. And I noticed, like, just a ton of Legos. So I think a lot of the Christmas stuff must be coming in because it was, like, the same Lego on three shelves. Like the same set. And my son's big in Lego, so I'm like, yeah, I bet you that was like the Christmas shipment they were supposed to get in. It finally showed up. Maybe this will get stores to start putting things out at a more reasonable time rather than having Christmas decorations out <laughs> the first of November. It'll, it'll force them to do it early. Really? No, it's going yeah. yeah, yeah. to go the other way. It's going to be worse. It'll be yeah. Christmas, literal Christmas in July. Yeah. Yeah. Start so, Christmas decorations so, so Matt, they have them. Basically, these Halloween blankets your wife saw, they were. We were, didn't make a profit on because they had to clearance them out right at Christmas time. I'm sure they still they, made a profit. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the wholesale price probably was on them, right. but yeah, Walmart doesn't lose money. Come on, your wife probably finds like the deals if she's Walmart walking every day. Maybe a little too much, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Did you ever laughs> get <it? laughs> she ever get hit by falling prices? Uh, not yet. Gonna, Luckily, whoa. I I should give her a hard hat to wear yes. so she doesn't. That was get hit disgusting, by Todd. <laughs> 
Do they even market that? They don't market that. hasn't been a thing for a long time. You know what I, I thought was funny that came back kind of like early COVID through this is the, the whole layaway thing. Oh, right. Oh, layaway, yeah. layaway came out. Like that disappeared for several years. Yeah, Max, did you ever hear it's, of layaway? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. It's mandatory layaway though. Like, right. And then it, it's yeah. kind of how pickup trucks are right now. You just yeah. you buy your truck and you lay it away till July. Yeah, but that's picking it up layaway. I know. Because right. layaway now means you can have it right away, but you got to pay. Like. You got to make your payments. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. All right, so let's wrap things up then with our egg idiom for the week. So it's this, back. This week it is. It's back. Back again. Shady's back. All right. To egg someone on is our egg idiom this week. means to urge someone to do something foolish, to encourage someone to do something they don't want to do. Uh, peer pressure, I guess, would qualify here. So come... <laughs> Where it comes from, it's derived from Old Norse word egja, which means to incite or provoke. So the idiom to egg someone on first appeared in the mid-1500s, and the verb egede, from which the phrase to egg someone on is derived, um, has been in the English language since around 1200. So the English had it since 1200, and before that it was an Old Old Norse word. And the idiom's been around for a long time. I, I really learned something new today. So that has nothing to do with... It has nothing to do with chickens, yeah. What does she say? She, she says, eggja. Egg she does? Yeah. I never knew what it was. She would say it like when she wanted you to do something, like when you're working. Yeah. Eggja. Eggja. And I never... I was always like, <laughs> is she just speaking... I always thought she was just speaking gibberish. Sure. But she's... Uh, older. Grandma's speaking lady. in tongues. Yeah, yeah. Literally. <laughs> Grandma has a new tongue. Aja, aja. Yeah, she'd always say that, like, you weren't working fast enough. Aja, aja, aja. Sure. Yeah. Get going. So, yeah, you don't have to throw actual chicken eggs or anything. So at, did she at say people. that when you were doing something foolish? Mm-hmm. No? Just... That was usually oofta. <laughs> oofta. <laughs> oofta. <laughs> Maximus, oofta. Oofta. <laughs> Maxwell, oofta. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. This week we talked about which bugs can overwinter here in Wisconsin, which ones don't, and a little bit about where they overwinter, whether it's above or below the ground. In our spotlight, we looked at the use of satellite imagery to help improve cattle weight gain. Egg History Minute, we talked about the soil bank. Cool beans was the Wisconsin Egg Secretary appreciating new egg export funding. That's corny, was... The unknown of how long increased fertilizer prices will last. And our egg idiom was to egg someone on. So I dare you to go listen to all our podcasts. All 115 that came before this one. Come on, do it. Do it. As always, happy farming.